0: Shortly before my 40th birthday and I know I know some of you are thinking surely not Jamesy, surely not and the rest of you the same ones are going, creaky, he's got some memory. (laughs) Shortly before my 40th birthday, my sister and my two sisters-in-law, Lillian's sister and my brother's wife who, and very importantly who are all three years older than me they told me I would know all about it once I hit the big 4-0. Apparently, I'd given them a hard time when they were approaching 40, but that doesn't sound like me. So, as usual, I just laughed it off. And about two weeks after my 40th birthday, I collapsed at home. Ambulance job up to the Ulster, through ED, and up to the cardiac ward. On the plus side, they found I had a heart. On the downside. The doctors discovered that the heart was severely out of rhythm. So instead of going the dum, the dum, the dum, it was doing the William Tell overture. (laughs) (laughs) And I warned Noel beforehand when I said that I did not want him jumping up, putting on his black eye mask, shouting hi ho, silver away!" (laughs) Young ones won't have a clue what we're talking about. So for the next week, I lay in the ulster. And the regular question was, how's your heart? The doctors were concerned, of course, about this strange, miraculous muscle that pumps blood around our body. My usual answer was, well, the string's still holding and the brick's still swinging, we're all right. And when I read our passage for today and I was preparing it, I thought, well, Jesus isn't concerned so much about our physical heart, although he is, Here in this passage, he's focusing in on the state of our attitude of our heart. The thing that shows exactly who we are and how we get on. And as we look through this story recorded actually appropriately by a doctor, Dr. Luke, think about the characters. The question they ask of them and so they ask of ourselves as we look at it is, How's your heart? And as has regularly been said in St. Mary's, it's important to have a look at where our passage sits, to look at the context. And before this, Luke has recorded that Jesus was invited to lunch at one of the Pharisees' house. Needless to say, the Pharisees got a bit more than they expected. And by the end of it, they decided, actually, you know what, we really don't like this boy. And they were setting out, to really fiercely be against him. So Jesus heads off, but it says a crowd follows him, and in no time it's a crowd of many thousands. And they're cramming in round him, and Jesus is talking to his disciples, and one of the big things he's saying to them is, is beware the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. And he tells them as well that everything is seen by God and heard by God. And in mid-flow, Jesus is interrupted. And that's where we come to our passage today. Now, if you're going to interrupt Jesus mid-sermon, you better have a cracker of a reason. And what's this boy say? Teacher, tell my brother to give me more money, more stuff. Tell him. at the time the Jewish law was that the oldest brother got a double portion of inheritance compared to all the others. And I'm sorry ladies but the daughters got nothing unless there was no sons in which the daughters could inherit but a whole lot of strings came with it. And looking at this we don't know then did the older brother try and hold on to more than he was entitled to or was this younger brother trying to grab more than he was entitled to and Jesus refuses to get involved in the inheritance row I mean who ever heard of a row in a family over an inheritance <laughs> you'd never hear such a thing nowadays would Jesus instead looks straight past the veneer of I'm entitled again another phrase that we hear far too often in our day And he looks to the heart of the matter. And as often as the case, the heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. Remember our question. How's your heart? Jesus could see that at least one, if not both of the brothers, had a problem with greed. Neither was happy for the other to have. Well, that's a wee bit more. That's okay. I'll do without a wee bit. And whether or not there was any legal entitlement, Jesus warns the man and all of those who are in earshot watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A person's life does not consist in the abundance of their possessions. It's not about who has the most, who has the latest, the best. Jesus is again going counterculture. He's trying to get through to people that in God's upside-down world, your stuff does not matter. It simply doesn't impress God. What counts is how we respond to him and will we do things the way that he says we should be doing them. In 1 Samuel 16, it's recorded that when Samuel went to anoint the new king over Israel, he saw Jesse's sons as strong Handsome men. And he thought, any of them will make a great king. But each one came and went. And God said, No, no, not that one. No. And God says to him, The Lord doesn't look at the things that man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. How's your heart? Jesus then tells him a parable. And the best description that I've still ever heard of a parable is it's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And this is a story many of us are familiar with, which is good, but is also dangerous. Because we can think we know it and so skip over it without looking at the details. And as Lorcan read for us, verse 16, the parable says, The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop, he thought to himself, "Stop! We've sealed straight over it." The first thing we want to notice is: this was a rich man. Says a certain rich man. He was already looted, and he didn't need more. He had enough, and then some. And secondly, and very importantly. Who or what produced the good harvest? The ground. The rich man's staff and servants would have prepared the ground, sown the seed, tended the young plants. But if there had been a drought or disease or pests or any number of other things, there might have been no crop at all, let alone an abundant one. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 3 and 7, when he's set, trying to settle a dispute in the, in the church in Corinth, uses this same principle. And he says, Neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. It was God who made the crop grow so abundantly not the sewer, or the waterer or the tender, and certainly not the rich man himself. And we get a sweet sneak peek through the window of this man's heart as Jesus shines a light on his attitude. Part of what Jesus had been saying before he was interrupted was, there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known what you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. This rich man was sitting on his own. It says he thought to himself and then he hatched a plan. There's no mention of him going to a trusted friend to ask advice. And that's something that's very important in life. If you don't have it, please try and get someone who you trust who can give you sound advice. It isn't the case of having somebody who will tell you what to do every single time something comes up. That's not what it's about. But I know that on occasion I've talked things through with one or two people who I trust And found that it helps even to hear your own thoughts verbalized. It's good to have someone who's able to say to you, do you hear yourself? And most importantly and sadly, here there's no mention of him communicating with God. No thanksgiving for the bountiful harvest. No prayer seeking guidance. No sign of him wanting to give anything back to God in recognition for how he had been blessed. No thought of looking out for those worse off than himself. No chance of him giving some of it away to those who needed it. Remember, this man was already rich. So it would appear that this was his normal way of doing things. He wanted it all for himself. So having had a good conversation with himself, what does he decide? The only thing they would have done is to tear down the barns and we'll build bigger ones to hold this mega harvest of grain along with everything else he already has. And I found it interesting that he didn't say, I'll build another couple of matching barns and I can put all the excess in there. He says, no, I'll tear it down so that my neighbours can see I've needed bigger barns that anybody going past my farm will look and say, creaky, look at the size of the barns that boy has, and they're full. He was really rich, and he wanted to make sure the neighbors knew it. And in the short time that he concocts this plan, as we've said, he mentions nobody but himself. It says he thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. This is what I'll do. I'll tear down. I'll build bigger. I'll store all my grain and my goods. Me, me, me. Then I'll sit back and take it easy because I'm some pup. Eat, drink, be merry. Then come two of the most important words in this whole passage but God. And any time we're reading the Bible and you come across the two words that say but God, we gotta stop and take notice. Most of the time it'll be to point out an error in somebody's way of thinking, or their planning, or their actions. And sometimes it is that we think, oh, we're all going to do this here, but God. And sometimes it thinks, actually, I'm not worth anything. And it says, but God. You see, in our modern Western world, we can look at this parable and think, good on you, capitalism works. You deserve it. And this is where the Word of God is live and active and speaks to us 2,000 years later. You see, this man's heart wasn't right with God. He had all those plans worked out and all the financial resources behind him to carry them out. But God had a different plan. The rich man said, This is me sorted for years ahead. We're laughing. God said, no, tonight. No, 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 but Lord, I've got all this stuff. I don't have to plant anymore. This will do me right through. Yeah, it will do you right through, right through to tonight. If God said to you, no, tonight, are you able to say, okay, Lord, your will be done? And this man must have had a history of acting like this. Otherwise, Jesus would have pointed that out. He doesn't say, and in a break from his normal way of doing things, the rich man thought to himself. Nor does he say, as usual, the rich man prayed and sought God's peace and direction on what he should do. He had planned his next building project and then it would be feet up for many years. But God said to him, you fool. And actually the way it is written in the Bible, it is you fool and then a big exclamation mark. You fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? The man had been blessed, but he kept it all. For himself, it was what his life and security was centered around. Ecclesiastes five ten issues this warning: Whoever loves money, never has money enough. And whoever loves wealth, is never satisfied with his income. Proverbs eleven four says: Wealth is worthless on the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. Despite all his monetary wealth, without God, he really had nothing. And at Dudley's funeral last week, we heard one of his most cherished Bible verses. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? And that was the reality this certain rich man faced But then Jesus issues the final warning in this story, and it should really grab our attention. He says, This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich towards God. It wasn't just this rich man it applied to, he was foolish, but he just happened to be rich. You see, there's nothing wrong with having money as long as the money doesn't have you. And further on in this chapter in verse 34 is a verse that has stuck with me since I was a teenager, so that's a right way now, when I was starting out to make my own way in the world. Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. We need to keep a check on where our heart is as well as how it is. Cause just like this rich man we're all going to die one day and you know what we're going to leave every single penny behind us somebody else is going to get it and they're going to do whatever they want with it because you and I won't be around to say no 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 I had that I thought you could do this with it we'll have no say in it how's your heart How grateful are we for what we have? Do we bother to stop and thank God for how we've been blessed? Are we a blessing to others? Or are we just storing up what we have all for ourselves? Is it mine, my precious? How preoccupied are we with our possessions? Do we share? Do we give back to God from what he has given us? If not, why not? And if we do, how do we do it? 2 Corinthians nine seven says, Each person should give what they have decided in their heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And it isn't just about money, money, money and giving in to church. God doesn't need our money. He's God. He created the whole earth and everything in it. And this isn't a cash call for St. Mary's. We all live in houses and we know it takes money to run them. So if we all want to come, as Noel said again this morning, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. If we want to come to this house of the Lord, it takes money to run it. Just ask David. We want a new extension. It costs money. But it is about our heart attitude toward God and toward other people. It is about who or what has our heart God does want our heart, and He wants us to come to the full realization that it isn't whoever dies with the most toys wins. It's about eternity, which includes today, because none of us know here. For some of us here, this might be the last day. It doesn't just start when we die. Today is the day of salvation. So, how's your heart?